Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Raw Pet Medics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Raw Pet Medics. Um, <laughs> Brendan uh, has got an infection and he can't make it right now. And Brady. Uh, how you getting on, Nick? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry about last week. Let me tell you what happened. I was sitting here at five o'clock doing prepping and and getting ready and getting excited and everything else. And my phone just died and nothing could get it to reboot. So I spent two hours in the Apple shop the day after and um, they managed to get it redone and they managed to fix my laptop at the same time. So I was, yeah. All for free. So sorry uh, to, to disappear. But so That's today, right. I'm upstairs and I'm in the wall and I'm indoors in the house upstairs. I've got a very good 4G connection on here. Lovely, ready to go. It's only taken it's only taken 15 months to get a system that worked, but that should uh, that should work. How about you? How was your week? Very, very good. Uh, yeah, good week. I had a new website that went live. We've been working on that for months. And uh, so you release it. This thing's a monster. And you release it in its infancy. And then they build on it for months. So that's been very exciting. And um, so, yeah, so I've been totally uh, distracted by that. And I did my first one of my first, I did a webinar where I just put up a webinar on the website and people could watch me talk for, turns out, 90 minutes. It's long. I thought okay. I started off very carefully and slowly, pre-recorded one, but by the end I was flying along. I could see what people had to listen to, and I thought, "Ooh, that's hardcore." There was a, there was a hundred and something people at it, hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty at one stage, and right. uh, right. so it was really good. So look, that's that's a thing for the future too, because me and you don't get to do our seminars anymore. So I'm just going to move them onto my website. But look, I want to get straight into it tonight. Like, thanks um, for putting up that that link along the bottom. Uh, Brian is in the, in the background of the but patreon.com forward slash raw pet medics and so thanks everybody for your donations to raw pet medics it makes things very very possible but in answer to your question Nick the most important thing that happened to me today is so very relevant to tonight's topic so I feel like I should ask you how have you got on this week just in case you've got something interesting to say before I launch into a bit of a trade about what's been uh, happening I've been watching a lot of uh, amazing seminars with uh, scientists coming together at the Senate discussing many important uh, current topics. Uh, also, over the weekend, we are moving my business back here oh. to my house. And I'm going to be doing a lot of virtual work, a lot of webinar work, a lot cool. of... Uh, so I've been fairly That's busy. Cool. Yeah, That's that's fairly great. busy. But how about you? Tell me about tell your you adventures happened. this I, week. I, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I put up a post during the week uh, published in 2016, conducted by Marge Dandler, who we know in our circles, who's a veterinary nutritionist from the UK, and mm. three other veterinary nutritionists. And they surveyed 63 deans of veterinary departments in Europe, Russia, uh, and, and that kind of area in between. Uh, that, was, that was the premise of it, and it was all about nutrition, because it's for nutritionists talking. And 
they asked him, the deans, like, how are you getting on with your nutritional lectures? And 41% of them were either very not happy or totally dissatisfied with the amount of lectures that their uh, students are getting. And they found out that on average, they were getting 19 hours of, lecture, of nutritional lectures in five years of tuition. Now, I put that up and said, eh, that's not a whole lot. I do that, do that over a weekend in two days of studying and we would be some people are neck deep in this and i said look it's just not possible for these legendary generalists legendary to, to try to do every single biological uh, scientific sub, uh, subject in every animal on the planet in five years as a kid some people spend just all that time doing physiology or you know pharmacology or whatever so you're trying to do all of it i was trying to touch on the fact that is part of the issue that we have where some of us feel that, that vets may not have been uh, properly versed in, in, in nutrition. And of course, it didn't go down brilliantly with uh, some vets. Some vets came on and totally agreed, other vets did not. That's fine. Okay? So this is very normal, very healthy. You engage them. You try not to be, why would you be any other way? But you engage them and say, well, I'm just saying this is the 19 hours and the points where, well, we spend a lot of time outside of those times studying and, you know, we read books and all that kind of stuff. And and, and I, I didn't want to get into the, all these freedom of information requests that reveal the development departments are hopelessly tied up with pet food companies. I have a whole chapter on it in my book, multiple freedom of information requests from the top vet departments. The lab, the, the vampires are given, are given the lessons. So it's books they're reading, small animal clinical and nutrition. You can't get into all that on social media. Like, this is normal discourse, talking to people, debating in public. This really is the center of science. It's why me and you get on so well, Nick and Bren. We love getting into it. And people might see some of it as getting a bit easy, but, like, you're just totally involved and loving what it is. And some points you win, some points you don't. And you come away going, shit, I think Nick was right about that. And then you look into it and you go, he was right. And now I know more. So... I tried to be friendly and, and I thought, and but the vets did not like it. And it started getting more and more kind of negative. And next thing you know, Facebook has removed the post. And Ooh, I thought, I, yeah. Censorship. I, censorship, oh, my friend. You know, listen, I, I, um, this, this happens. I've written an article on vaccination saying, here's 10 great studies on side effects from vaccinations in dogs under 10 kg. Very common in small dogs. Removed by Facebook. Okay. This is being done by Facebook, and this is part of the problem. Like, who are Facebook to remove that post? I wasn't saying anything derogatory. I wasn't being bloody racist or sexist or some other ism, which I probably haven't even heard of. Because I, I was just talking about a study that had been published by their peers, veterinary nutritionists, that said you get 19 hours of lectures on average. Maybe your department gives you way more than that. Maybe there's some school in Idaho that's doing a whole course on animal nutrition. It's, no, it's, it's irrelevant. I just talked about this peer review study. So I just want to speak for just five more minutes, Nick, because I know I've already done five. I'll go and get a cup of tea, mate. Yeah, just tell me <laughs> okay. when you're... I, I, in, the, in the book, when I go through, like, you know, um, why dogs should be eating lots of meat and a bit of veg. Who cares how much of veg you put in? It doesn't matter. Give them for a bit of fresh meat and bone. We all agree. And then why dry food might have many, 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 many serious questions. The ultra carbohydrates, very low protein, all this crap, terrible fats, chemically preserved, all this nonsense. And then it's like, why is the veterinary industry so confused on this? And so I go through it and I say, well, look, this is so many what they're getting taught in college and by who. But before we get into how they've been confused and wrangled up, 
uh, you need to understand what's going on in the human sector. And so everybody has is, is getting more and more tuned into this. We've all been turned into scientists for the last couple of years, or, uh, you know, armchair scientists. And it's interesting because it's fun and we like this kind of stuff. And it's very relevant to what's uh, going on, isn't it? But uh, we dare not mention the war. But we have a major, major problem, particularly looking at the US, major problem with prescription drugs alone. Drugs that have been authorized properly and properly recommended by doctors and the third biggest killer in the US. And half of those deaths are killing about 120,000 Americans a year. And half of those have been properly taken, properly taken by the, by the patient and they die. So uh, the other half is a mishmash of people taking too many or the doctor prescribing them incorrectly for the wrong person who shouldn't have been given or whatever. So there's big issues and there's massive rises like for this prescription drug market in the US is growing at 10% every year. Uh, the number of people taking five or more prescription drugs has doubled in the last six years. Anybody that needs these studies on, believe me, I have them handy. And, and on and on. We've got one in 10 Americans eating uh, antidepressants as if they've got some monopoly on the blues. You know, we've got the opioid epidemic. If anybody hasn't seen Dope Sick yet, or you haven't read, particularly The Guardian, although I don't like to recommend them these days, they have done a good job on what went on with the opioid crisis in the U.S., but Dobsic, Michael Keaton did it, um, highlights exactly what happened with this. They released the regulations in 1996 for cancer pain with opioids, and they started hiding exactly how addictive they were, full knowledge how addictive these were. The regulators got on board, believe me, the FDA came out very, very, very badly out of that show. And this will be the first time people have seen this from the FDA. We've got journalists here saying on the radio, I think you can trust the FDA. So the FDA have major problems. They are more corporate funded than they are public funded at this stage. They have patents in some of the drugs that they that adhere to. One in three of the drugs they produce are blacklisted within about five years of them coming out. There's major issues with the FDA that we don't need to get into conspiracy stuff, which is lovely label people to throw at things. Conspiracies are real things. This is why we have laws against conspiracy. You go to conspiracy in 2008 with the banks and, and the opioid crisis. Bloody hell, we're all still living through it. You know, there's... Uh, the opioid crisis has killed more Americans than COVID. It's spilled 700,000, which I think it's got 750,000 COVID deaths, although you question hell a lot of them. So that was just the whole premise of, if you want to understand why is it so bad in the veterinary industry, it's because this is what's going on in the human industry. That's all about a lack of regulation, using very, very dodgy, very flimsy science, use as little bad science to get there as possible. And then once they're on the market, you use a hell of a lot of good science to get that product off the market. Good science requires hundreds of really well-trained scientists, years, millions of dollars. Who thinks it's going to fund that for every drug they bring out? There's 10, 20 coming out every day. One in four of the drugs they bring out today are an improvement on the drug that came beforehand. One in two of the studies published today are false. They're the studies published in The Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, our top medical journals. One in two studies are false because... About 90% of them are produced by the pharma companies. So we have this mega bad science issue, and it's polluting everything. And our doctors aren't even reading the studies, massive reviews of doctors. They're not coming home after horrible long days. Young vets, 12, 13 days, are stressed with the grindstone. You think they're coming home and opening up, you know, to learn every single drug and every single skin issue and joint issue and joint drug and therapy and all the signs coming out every day on these fucking silly. They can't absorb that much information. We can't stay on top of the nutritional feed. And that's the problem. It's a deluge, a tsunami of crap science and very poor regulation. And what we see in the 
animal sector, the veterinary sector, is is with the with the brakes off. There is they are so busy trying to trying to manage this ridiculous mess that we have that in the veterinary sector we've massive problems. There's no regulation in pet food. There's no regulation in pet treats. We've got vets recommending you know for puppies that have been properly vaccinated for viruses took for them to be vaccinated every single year. They just took that on without a single study suggesting it was a good idea. So that was my my bit of a rant. This is a mega mega problem that the that they are expert at doing. They have learned the hard way. They've learned their bullshit science through the tobacco industry, through fudging the global warming debate. Like they are experts at sowing doubt. Merchants of doubt is one of the big things that people should check out and read. If you want to read some proper horror stories, pick up anything by Ben Goldacre. Bad farmer, uh, bad science. Jane, what are you doing about it? Oh, Jane, that's a that's a that's a lo- that's a big question. First of all, Jane, I have written a book about it to show people exactly where the bullshit science comes from and how the, how a lot of the uh, claims that uh, companies are doing it. So, first thing is, I brought that to the market. I can end on some very positive news, but at this stage, I've been ranting for ten minutes and I'm red in the face. And I need to ask Nick: Have I said anything that you feel has been unfair or? Where, where are you with all this? Well, you know what? I thought, uh, I'll take over five minutes so you can yeah. take a little breather. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are taught at college, you no doubt taught the same thing, but there is a, there's a hierarchy of poor quality science going up to very good quality science, logically, yeah? Okay. And at the, very, at the very bottom, you've editorials and expert opinions. So just uh, Dr. A says, oh, um, I think that if we feed dogs like this, it might be a really great idea. And that's, that's, that is on the pyramid, but it is at the lowest rung of the, of the whole pyramid. Okay. Above that, you've got mechanistic studies whereby somebody says, I gave this rat DDT and it died. Okay. Above that, you've got case reports where you've got uh, case reports and case studies. The case report is, uh, I say, I changed this dog's diet and the dog did very well. A case study is, I changed these 10 dogs' diets and they did very well. They're all on about the same level. Above that, you've got cross-sectional studies. So you say, right, we're going to look at 50 dogs who are five years old and are Labradors and we're going to change this and we'll see what impact that has. You see that every time we go up a level, we are improving the scienciness of it. We're improving the rigor with which we analyze the data. Yeah. Above that, you've got case controlled studies, which is where you will say, right, we've got all these cases, and we're going to give them this drug, and we'll see what the impact is. Cohort studies is where you take uh, a thousand people and you change their diet in this way and you follow them for seven years or 10 years or something like that. Yeah. You notice that all of these, they're getting more and more fussy. They're getting more and more expensive. They're getting more and more difficult to do. And to get good numbers, they have to have more and more more more, uh, people within them. Almost at the top of the pyramid is the randomized controlled trial where you have two groups and you, get, you, you randomly allocate those two groups. And in one group, 
you give them placebo, which is just a, just a, a tablet with no activity in it. And the others, you give an active tablet or an active intervention, and you then just see the difference between the two. If you cross those over and you give the, the, the null group, uh, the active and the active group, the null, then you've got a randomized crossover trial. Okay, so even that evidence you crossed over halfway through the trial to try and eliminate these any any um, any confounding factors, but things that things that are happening that you can't see. And then right at the top, right at the very top, the the epitome of the very very best in science are systematic reviews, which is where you take a a, a whole lot of you look at a whole lot of papers and you you um, you you sift them for what they what they generally all are saying. Or a meta meta analysis is you take, for example, ten uh, and um, ten studies of a thousand people, and you put all that data together, and you then got one study of ten thousand people, which has much 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 more power. Mm. So that's considered epitome of science and I spent my entire uh, college career and my entire you know early scientific life thinking right meta-analysis that's where it's at if we could get a good meta-analysis and then in 2016 this amazing guy guy called John E. Ioannidis he's, he's Greek American Greek uh, I-O-A-N-N-I-D-I-S. Any Greeks in the house who can uh, pronounce that for me? Ioannidis. John oh, Ioannidis. Yeah. Most Ioannidis. And he has turned around and written a, prod, a, 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 a paper in 2016 called The Mass Production of Redundant, Misleading, and Conflicted Systematic Reviews and Meta-Analysis, whereby he says that there's only about 4% of these, the very best of science, are worth the paper they're written on. And so, better and better and better and better. And when you get to the top, only 4% of those are worth that paper they're written on. I'm really, really, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a bit at sea with science. If we have a look, if there, there's, there's, there's another couple of classic, um, and I have got some good news at the end as well. Mm. But... There's a, a quote here from Marcia Engel, uh, which, which I've got her saying, this is 2009, it is simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians and authoritative medical guidelines. I take no pleasure in this conclusion, which I reached slowly and reluctantly over my two decades as editor of the New England Journal of Medicine which is the epitome of well-run yeah. uh, uh, publications. Yeah. And Richard Horton, who was the editor of The Lancet, the Lancet even if you've never read a medical paper, you'll know, the, you'll know The Lancet. And he said, the case against science is straightforward. Much of the scientific literature, perhaps half, may simply be untrue. Afflicted by studies of small sample sizes, tiny effects, invalid exploratory analyses, and flagrant conflicts of interest, together with an obsession for pursuing fashionable trends of dubious importance, science has taken a turn towards darkness. Don't get that on a t-shirt. 
Yeah, they gave him that job, Nick, at 35 years old, and he's had it for 25 years. That's unheard of. Yeah. 35 year old, he's running the Lancers. Um, the peer review thing is interesting. Can I address that peer review? Absolutely. Oh, well, peer review, which, again, peer review on paper seems is, is a great idea. You, you, great you idea. give, you give, I write a paper and I give it out to lots of other veterinary nutritionists so that they can uh, uh, criticize back to me to improve it. And only when it, everybody's happy with the paper will it be published. Yeah. yeah. Right. In theory, great. In, in theory. I went through peer review, so I have a doctorate, and so you do your four, you do your four years of degree, and then you do your four mm-hmm. years. A doctorate essentially is just, for the first time ever, in college you're given your lectures, and you're given your things to think about, and you go off and you think about them and answer questions and tell them that I have, I have learned what you taught me. You're still being taught in college a lot, uh, not exactly winding up with critical thinking. You're given a lot of exercises in the background, fair enough, but ultimately the lessons you are given, you accept. I accepted 100% of the things I heard. I never knew to question. Uh, but when you get your doctorate, you're given a question that nobody has answered yet. And it's like, why is this happening? And you're like, I don't know. And they go, off you go. He's your supervisor, he'll help you, but ultimately you find out. You have to address this question from a myriad of ways. What does he think? What does she think? What did they say? What did they do? That doesn't agree with that. You could get all the studies around it, amass them all in a horrible mess and try to make sense out of it and go, right, well, this is the most likely and this is the most likely I'm going to test these two in this population. That's what I did. Okay, so that's why my book looked like that horrific lump because I have to take a question and science is not quick. It's not yes or no. It's not this polarized, ridiculous world where you can get your answer in a meme. Science is complicated and you're not always right. What peer review does is, this is how simple it is. For my peer review, which I, I couldn't eat for about a week beforehand, I had two doctors, two, two supervisors that I knew, head of department and my supervisor, but those two were of the four. One guy, of, that was their best friend, and one guy was in Port Quarry in Kuttenbrock, uh, who was, he was a legend in our circle. And they, look at, they take the data that I produced, and they didn't even look at it. They just looked at the stuff I'd written, talked to me about it, and I got my, I got my doctor. And I thought, ooh, that wasn't so scary. Peer review for science has mega problems. Well, let's take the recent, recent example of Pfizer. And there's been whistleblowers and there's, like, there's been a few issues with the data. And the British Medical Journal, the second most prestigious journal that's come out of the UK for medicine, uh, associate editor says, I've got questions about your, uh, about your data. Uh, give us a look. Give us a look at your data. And Pfizer said, no. You can't see the data that we've collected. And people that, you know, that have heard this, that might be astounded at that, go, you think that's new? Do you think that they give their data to the journals? They don't. When they go for peer review, the pharma company that produces the study, and they might have run 20 studies and picked their favorite one with the best results on the minimal amount of people, and uh, they get that study, and they look at the data, and then they do a summary of their own data, and they hand the summary in with their, with their, um, with their paper. What? Why wouldn't you show your data? Why indeed? What have you got to hide? Show us your data. In science, you've always had to show your data. That's the whole point of it. We, the whole point of science is that if you say A does B, I should replicate your study and A will do B to the same extent. If you say it does it 70%, it better be in and around that for the amount of standard deviations you said it would be. If I find it's 30%, you've been bullshitting. So the figure now today is over 70% of studies can't be repeated. So if you look, we're, we're killing the point, I understand, but peer review has a mega problem. And one of the, the guy that does the most peer review in the UK, I'm not going to be able to remember his name, he said, we get so many applications of good studies. And he said, 
peer review is so weak that I might as well get these studies and throw them down the stairs and publish the ones that hit the ground first. That's his, uh, his words. So peer review has major problems. You can get things peer reviewed. You can own the journal you're getting your stuff published in. So the top journals are hard to get into, but one in two of them, after stringent peer review, are false. Not just, I made a mistake in the data. Ionidas, in Nick's example, who found less than 5% of them were legit, he's a statistician. All statisticians are to be feared because they'll make a fool of you no matter what you say. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, they will always poo-poo a study in, in, in what we would always be afraid to copy. But, you know, still one in two. So the peer review thing is not a defense. There's very little regulation after that. Once that study's out there, it hangs around like a bad part. And they only need it there for a, week, a year or two. Remember Yukonuba, Nick? And they said, Yukonuba helps dogs live 30% longer. And it's like, what? That's a huge statement. And There's one dog. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, can we see your data? And they mess around. And eventually, the Federal Trades Commission sued them or whatever. And they said, no, it didn't really happen. Uh, but they had been up on veterinary wall for two or three years. Job done. There's your underground fine. There's millions and millions and millions of euro of pet food sold. So bad science is at an all-time high. And uh, it's, it's, the science is the least trustworthy thing out there. It's a brilliant tool, a tool I adore. Trustworthy? Are you, are you mad? One in two in the best journals. Mars owns its own journals that they publish studies in that they wouldn't get published in higher journals. And particularly in pet food, we've got that problem. So, like, you know, they've got, like, the Waltham Science Institute, and they've got, uh, they wrote Small Animal Clinical Nutrition via the Morris Foundation. That was called Gay Palmolive. Like, it's just it's so incestuous, and it's, it's a big, big problem. Um, so, you know, there's my second little bit of a rant after that, but like, Nick, what do you do for good info? What's the, let's move into something a bit more positive. Like, you get, you get good stuff out. How do you know what you're reading is good? How do you find that out? What do you, what's the top I, I think, I think the thing to do is that don't trust the science because science is not one thing. Science is the evolution of ideas. And what we talk about now is going to be different from what we talk about in 30 years' time. And so, and good science is actually a debate. Yeah. If you take any, any, any aspect of biological science, because if, you, if, if, you, if you're talking about physics, it's, you know, the speed of light is this, the speed of sound is that, the, you know, this is, this is high and this is this, that, the other constants. Okay, there's quite a lot of constants there. When you're dealing with biology, Pretty much everything is variable. And if we think that, you know, sending a, a, a spaceship to the moon is complicated, that is nothing compared with getting up, having a pee, and having breakfast. The complexities of that overshadow a moonshot about a trillion times over. And it's just that, that we do it every day, and so we, we, we just get used to it. But within the food space, analyzing nutritional intervention is very, very difficult because as soon as you change one thing, let's say we drop the fat within a diet to see what happens, you will automatically have to put in something else. And so doing this um, double-blind trial where you just change one drug to one group is impossible with nutrition, um, nutrition studies. Because of this idea that if you if you take all the fat out of the food, people who are eating the fat-free food will absolutely know that, and that's going to have an impact how they feel about it, how they eat, and 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 that has a 
major impact. I think that I've, I've been debating this all day. How do we guide people with the good science? I think just the debate. And if there ain't no debate, I would be very, very, very worried about that. Within, 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 within food, uh, at one stage, fat is bad for you. Uh, there was debate uh, in the from the fifties. There was is sugar good for you? Is sugar bad for you? That's the healthy argument. What about you? Where would you go when you're trying to get, uh, guide people with how to get good science? Oh. I don't, I don't, it's a tough one. Like, I think I mean, you, you touched on something there that jogged a great line, which is like, there is no trust in science. No scientist ever said that. You know, that's a, something a politician said. Trust is science. There is no trust in science. It's the whole point. Trust is only cold, hard data. That's all there is. Test us, uh, show me the data, and I'll test it. And it's great. You know, so there is no trust at all. That's the whole point of it. We're all skeptical, which is natural. It's cynical, is like, that's oh, bullshit. Homeopathy is bullshit. What do you know about homeopathy? Tell me what do you know about homeopathy. Be skeptical was like, hmm, geez, I'm not sure about homeopathy. Can you prove it to me? Yeah, let's have a chat. Mm -hmm. Sit down there and mm -hmm. talk to Nick and Brendan and ask to see some mm -hmm. of this stuff. It's very interesting. So mm -hmm. that, that's a really healthy thing to do. And in a way, as I keep saying, all raw feeders are, are, are skeptics and they've all tested on their dog and they've seen the difference and they made a leap. You know, that's just basic science. So where do I go? I found it very... I don't know if I'd ever write that book again. I was naive starting it off. It was only near, as I started looking into the whole veterinary industry stuff and seeing this, like virtually zero science behind high-carbohydrate diets for dogs, virtually zero science behind minimum protein diets. Like in these huge books, and it's like, well, where's the studies to show this is okay, safe, let alone healthy and beneficial? Forget that. There's none of that. But safe, you know, not linked to the obesity crisis, pancreatitis, and there's nothing... But once I started seeing that, I thought, this is very wrong. And I started going very dark and I surfaced in 2020. So my point is, where do you go for solid signs? I honestly don't know, but the exact same thing you said there. I see people up and debating and talking about science. They're actually using studies. If I see them reference a study, I'm, that gives me solace that they can stand over that study and it makes sense. And I don't mean in some rotten rag like the journal.ie or some other rubbish in the comment section. I mean, scientists that have been trained, if Nick says something and he publishes a link, I kind of have faith that this scientist has looked into this. And so that gives me a bit of solace and something to work with. Now I can see the science. When the politicians say it, they say, well, we trust the science. We're guided by the science. You know, I keep thinking of these gray-haired people handing them down on stone tablets and they get the science. But the church is gone now, so we need some other bullshit to fill the space. And so the science is now handed down by the high priests, which are the scientists who are not allowed to see. Your chief of science, you're the, the guy that sat in the headboard of Dominic Cummins, the biggest spin master there is. And he was taking the message from your independent scientific committee and handing it to the boss man. So like we have, it depends who's saying it, but if they say it and, and give a study, you know, that gives me solace. Because then I look at the study and go, that's very interesting study, you know. And so that gives me a bit of sauce. I don't trust anything I read in newspapers anymore. I just go, yeah, okay, there, that's interesting. I don't trust it just because the health server said it. I want to see what you base that on. Let me see and let me, let me, I'm a scientist and I'm trying to do that. So I get a buzz out of doing that and I can spend hours doing it for other people who have jobs. And it's like, Jesus Christ, if we can't trust our health service, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't trust your health service, by the way, guys. Unbelievably brilliant at a lot of things when things go uh, wrong. Jesus, of course, I'm not saying that. Uh, so anyway, here's some good news. Look, 
we know that uh, we have some big problems now with big tech signs in us in Facebook, Twitter, big problem. We've got the chairman of the board of Reuters, uh, Thomas Reuters, which is one of the biggest journalistic organizations in the world. The chairman of Thomas Reuters uh, is also a director of Pfizer, if you can believe it. So uh, financially invested in both companies. And Thomas Reuters were given the, the job of um, seeing what is misinformation on Twitter. So we have mega problems with big tech coming in here. And like you can't expect Facebook to understand what's going on in any of these science arguments. So they just do whatever they're told. And they just, okay, the FDA says that, we'll, we'll get rid of that. So the good news is that I believe that all this latest couple of years, what it's going to do is I think it's going to bring it to a head because everyone mm. is going to be sick of this. You are going to look back, not right now, because I know nine and 10 people are listening, mightn't be on the same page as me, and that's okay. It's totally healthy. I'm somewhere on the other side, and you might not be. We're all okay. Mm. We all care about our grannies. We all care about our kids. We're not different. They want to sow that kind of, you know, anger. We, we read so much negative shit online because that's what our brains are wired, okay? So reading negative shit keeps you alive for longer. You know what I mean? So we're just hooked on negative tweets, negative Facebook, and, and media just give it to you. So we're just in this negative place. The good news is, that there are now people taking very serious actions how to correct this because we now realize we've got these amazing tools. A smart, that's not a phone. That's a bloody, well, I don't even know what to call it anymore. It's an incredible device, but it's not a phone. Who bloody talks on it anymore? And what they've started doing is they've started monitoring big tech back. So big tech make their money from selling us. They're advertising platforms. That's what they do. They make money from us. We're the product. You hear all that all the time. So what this guy in Berkeley, Professor in Berkeley, started doing, he says, well, what we're going to do, he started getting lots of investment, is that we're going to monitor Google. Because what Google do is they give you whatever information you want to read and in certain ways, and Facebook will pile you up on YouTube algorithms and all that sort of stuff. And what they do is when something insidious is going on via one of these big tech companies, they monitor the phones to see what people are being fed. And if something looks wrong because they've got their own algorithms, they can highlight it. When Google found out it was being monitored in one of these states in the U.S., I think it was Oregon, where they did it, they stopped doing the nasty stuff that they were doing because they realized the information was being collected and being fed back to them. What this guy from Berkeley was kind of highlighting was that you can very easily regulate these companies. It's all about regulation, whereby you monitor the stuff that they're doing and then you highlight it and go, well, actually, no, you are feeding uh, shitty discourse into that kind of subpopulation of people and that stuff. So I believe science is going to go the same way. I think people are going to realize that we've been sold a bit of a hook here, uh, that there is, you know, science is in disarray. It's now a tool being used to sell us crap. And the crap that we're taking is not helping us live longer. Okay, we've got chronic disease exploding. You think there's no cure for obesity and diabetes? Stop eating shit. Well, it's very hard to stop eating shit, so they should regulate this shit. So, like... There is solutions to it, but we just don't get it. So I think the good news, Nick, don't you feel that, that like we'll look back and go, whoa, that was like the opioid epidemic on steroids, you know? I think that I think something will rise out of the ashes, but I think there is going to be a conflagration before it's beginning to start, but I think the whole thing is going to go up in smoke, and it's only the the, the really solid, proper, well uh, but well thought through yeah. science, which is going to make it make it yeah. through. Yeah. So I think there's possibly a good thing, but I think a lot of people are going to get burned. Unfortunately, the other mm -hmm. thing I was going to say is, if you see people up on 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 any any platform who are seem to be speaking sense, and that you know that's a very subjective thing, 
But if they seem to be speaking sense and they're immediately, within 36 hours, they are banned or they're censored, I'm very scared about that. I think almost everybody should be able to talk about almost everything. There are certain subjects off limits, but in 99.9% of stuff, I think you should, you should, it should be self-limiting. If you're speaking rubbish, you will eventually, people will just stop listening yeah. to you. And I think that's the way it should be. But censorship through the media is, is really scary. Crazy. So yeah. beware. Yeah. Anybody who's, who's getting censored, you know, really keep a close eye on what they're, what, what they're doing. I think is a, a good idea. Yeah. That's a simple. Yeah. I mean, how do you find your way? How do you find your way with all this stuff? Isn't it crazy that you even had to say all this, you know, but like, you know, the thing mm. is, I, I'm potently not anti-vaccine. I said, I believe that this vaccine is fantastic for people that need it and all that stuff. All those caveats. Yeah. I am one of those yeah. people. Oh, my anti-vaccine is ridiculous. And thank God my grandmother had something. I just believe that mm, there may be other things too, because we have these randomized controlled trials after all, and lots of them on certain medications that we don't talk about. So I have a problem with that because it's like that science is okay and that science isn't. Ah, come on now. We've got a lot of different types of science. So I'm just waiting for the debate. And I do believe we're going to look back and going to go, hmm, okay, this is what happened. And it's not, and I don't, don't believe there's a whole evil lizard people controlling it all, but this is just what companies do. When there's very little regulation, they're going to take the piss and they're going to do what they can to uh, make money. And that's what happens with the veterinary industry as well. You've got the corporate player of the veterinary industry, the Daily Mail of all papers. Uh, um, not often I will into the Daily Mail, guys, but uh, published four days ago, and it's just talking warning about the corporate buyout of the veterinary industry. Mars owns 50,000 vets now. Okay, do you, why do you think this candy company, world's second biggest pet food producer, owns 50,000 vets and all the diagnostics? So we have big, big problems. One and two of the veterinary clinics have been bought out by, by biggies, and they, these companies are owned by shareholders, so they have to maximize profits. And there's articles in the Wall Street Journal, in Bloomberg, saying... The high cost of modern veterinary care is a big one by Penfield and Bloomberg. That just shows how much money they're trying to extract from customers year on year. They've got to make more money from their clients. So, you know, vets have been told these are the things you must recommend. Now, a lot of that stuff is over in the US, but when America sneezes, the world catches a cold. And I do believe it's like an infiltration of shitty lessons in college. They're overworked. Vets, they're not all driving around in Porsches. These are really hardworking kids that loved animals, worked their ass off to get into college. We need to have a bit of kind of compassion for them. But at the same time, still something needs to change. And I kind of believe that all these raw feeders are choosing now vets that are, you know, they're not picking up what conventional vets are putting down. So they're going towards more natural eating vets. And maybe that's it. It's the shift of the market towards the people that you to support, support. So I think things will change in the veterinary industry for sure, and I think all this stuff maybe mm. will change. And we'll learn as we go along. I don't think it's insidious as people think. I think that's just business, and that's what happens when we don't regulate the shit. Out of, you know, that's that's what happens. Um, I think we yeah. could go on for quite a long time yeah. about this stuff. Uh, yeah, very yeah. much so. I hope we don't get censored. Uh, um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I'm not sure what we're doing uh, next week, but Bren, Bren is off in the sidelines. He's there. He's listening to everything we were saying and uh, cringing. Um, yes. he, he, he was sounding a lot better today than he was yesterday. Yeah. So he's probably going to be in, in, in uh, good form for next week. So I think let's have a little chat during the week this week and we'll find out what we're going to do. If anybody has got anything that they think would they really, really like to go through? Caroline is saying leptospirosis. Maybe we should. Oh, we should say we're going to do that. Actually, yeah. Caroline's right. We said that last week that 
it was bad info info wars this week and uh it, and then yeah. next week we're going to do leptospirosis uh i think we've done, leptospirosis. Yeah, we've done a bit of it before but it's a hot topic people want to know about it so we might mm-hmm. as well do it again i'd love to know more about it friends got a few juicy bits on that there as well so yeah yeah we'll look at leptospires they're a very interesting little piece oh, and yeah. the vaccine and uh uh, yeah, and 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 treatments and and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great. Hey, we're raw pet medics. You'll find us on patreon.com. Uh, every little bit helps. And if you can afford the price thanks of a cup of tea or coffee, we really really appreciate it. Our shows are always free to listen to. And uh, thanks for joining us. And thanks for all your comments. We'll go through them afterwards as we always do. And uh, we'll see you all next week at the same time, same place. All right. Blind, 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 blind,